this morning. We're going to be reading from John chapter 12. But before we do that, I want to apologize to Logan. Logan did not, did not have a chance to go over with me to my assumption. I knew, thought maybe he understood we were going to do what we were going to do during worship. And you all can see that Logan's a little nervous. And the reason for that is tonight is a taste of the new service we're hoping to start for people who are not churched. The, the whole idea behind this endeavor is not to minister to us as a congregation. It's for us to minister to a group of people who do not come to church. And so you're going to be seeing some things happening in the life of our church meant to reach into our community. And I don't know about you, but I, I find that distressing because it means change. Um, and, and that's really kind of what I want to talk with you this morning about is that how in many ways we become very people, uh, people who are used to things in such a way. We, we like to have things done for us and no changes to happen. And so, and, and so if we wake up in the morning and the sun isn't rising, we, something, we know something's wrong or we feel something's wrong. And so in light of that, I just want to ask if you'll be in prayer, because as we endeavor to reach into our community, uh, God has planted this church to bring people to salvation in Jesus Christ. And so when you think of that, that means we have to die to ourselves. Do y'all realize that? It means we have to realize that we serve a God who is asking us to give what we don't want to surrender in order to obtain what we could never earn. Now think of that. God wants us to give up what we would never surrender to obtain what we could never earn. And so when you and I begin to think about that whole business, uh, I just want you to be praying and asking God to guide the elders and, and, uh, and, and you, you, and asking God, what are you doing through me to forward your kingdom in this community? Why have you placed me where I live? What am I, what am I unaware of? What has become predictable in my life that's caused me to miss what you're doing that is unpredictable? Stand with me as we read from John chapter 12. We're going to be reading verses 20 through 23. It is our custom to stand when the word of God is being read out of great respect for the one who gives it, even, even our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so in light of that, I invite you now to hear the word of God. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. Now this is the festival of the Jews, the festival of tabernacles. And they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. By the way, Philip is a disciple of Jesus. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Now, Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, I, my servant will also be. 
My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there had heard it said it, it had thundered. Others said an, an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will, be, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And then Jesus told them. You are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. And whoever walks in the dark, whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light. So that when so that you may become children of light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Predictably unpredictable. We have as a family decided that we love gardening so much that it is predictable that we will ask Wayne Irvin to help us come and till the garden in the beginning of the season. And he has been so gracious to help us out with that. And then we'll get out the tiller and and Cindy will sit in the lawn chair and watch me till the entire garden. And then I'll sit in the lawn chair and watch her plant the entire garden and weed it and pick it. And I'll sit at the table and eat it. It's a pretty predictable kind of thing. And, and the most amazing thing about a garden is that if you're ever gardening, you will notice that there are never any problems of weeds. The weeds are always there. They never, they never ever are unpredictable. They always show up when you don't want them. But every once in a while in gardening, there are some things that happen that really are great serendipities. We have been looking for the perfect watermelon for over 10 years. We have planted every variety of watermelon you can find. And let me tell you, I know some of you love these little round bowling ball watermelons from the grocery store that are called sugar babies, and you think they're so good. That is not a watermelon. No, no, no. A watermelon that is a real watermelon has stripes, and it's rather oblong. And it comes usually from the eastern part of the state where it's very sandy soil. Something about this clay soil just doesn't make watermelons as sweet. We've tried every year until this year something unpredictable happened. One of the seeds from something we grew maybe a year, maybe two years ago germinated unbeknownst to us and grew up around where it shouldn't have and we let it grow and we discovered that this particular watermelon was the watermelon of my dreams. <laughs> it was the watermelon I'd been waiting 15 years to have. 
And when we cut up that watermelon and ate, ate it, it was the most sublime watermelon you ever have eaten. It's called Jubilee as a variety, if you want to know. And I want you to know, I'll never go back to sugar babies again. <laughs> it was predictably unpredictable. When you and I begin to think about following Christ, one of the things that we come to in our life is this belief that Jesus is a certain person, he's done a certain work, and he's accomplished certain things for you. It's predictable. You come into this sanctuary every Sunday with the prediction that you're going to worship God, but you never understand or you never take it for the reality of what God says, that he is in this place and he is meeting you here. You see, we go through motions where we can become habitual, and in going through the habit of things, we can miss what God is doing when he comes and makes his presence known, because God is not the same today, or God does not do the same thing he did yesterday that he does today. If that were true, we would always be worried about the past, the present, the future. God says his mercies are new every morning, and great is his faithfulness. And so if you came in a, three years ago to worship in our church, you had problems that were totally different from the problems you're facing this morning. And if God were not able to be unpredictable in your life, he would not be able to help you through the travels that you have to go through in this week. You see, our God is an eternal God. He's an infinite God. He knows all things, sees all things. He is able to accomplish far more than we can ask or think. And the most amazing thing is when you and I begin to put Jesus into a box and we make Jesus into our own image and we only allow him room to move in our lives in places that we will yield, but then we reserve other things for ourselves. It's called compartmentalization. Men are better at it than women. We can cut off one thing, go and do something totally different that would be almost in opposition to what we were doing an hour earlier. And so the danger there is that what, what the scriptures teach is that we can, with the same lips, praise God. And in those same lips, we can curse the very people that God has been created in his own image. How can that consistency continue? And God being unpredictable calls us to an unpredictable life where we are not to be like the world. We are to be different. Well, this morning as we get into this passage from John, we're going to find out some things about Jesus that really were quite unpredictable. And they were unpredictable because the people who were expecting the Messiah to come were expecting a conquering king. They were expecting someone who was going to take care of their problems, overthrow the Roman oppressors, that God was going to meet, meet their needs in their way at their timetable on their terms. And in doing so, they were expecting a, a savior who would come in as a as a conquering warrior on a white horse and Jesus chose to enter Jerusalem on a donkey and so by coming into that place of Jerusalem on a donkey he was fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah everyone there knew it 
They began to sing Hosanna and praise God and hallelujah and we're saved. But the way in which he was going to bring salvation was unpredictable. It's in that vein that John picks up his story, verse 20, and he begins by saying something that truly is unpredictable, that the people who were unexpected showed up. What do I mean? The Greeks. If you go back to verse 20 and read it very carefully, it's really quite amazing when you hear that now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. Well, what does that mean? Well, some commentators said, well, those are Jews, but they lived in other parts of the world than Jerusalem. And though that may be true, there's nothing in the text to give that. In fact, John uses that word Greek specifically that is different from a word that would describe someone who had already become a proselyte. These were people who were not Jewish, who were from the area of Galilee because they came to Philip and he had grown up in the town of Galilee. Galilee was a mixed race city. It was the city that really the Romans had rebuilt in honor of one of their, one of their wives. And that particular ruler who rebuilt that city did so to display the glory of Rome which was not Jewish and not submissive to God the Almighty. They worshipped numerous gods, idols. And so in the midst of that city, God had placed his people, the Jews, and also the Greeks. And apparently during this tremendous time of Jesus' ministry, with his final sign that John gives us, the final miracle he did, which was raising Lazarus from the dead, these Greeks must have heard enough about Jesus that they decided, hey, we need to find out more about who this guy is because he seems to know who God is. He must be a man of God. And what's more, they began to hear rumblings that he might be what the Jews expected to be as their savior, their Messiah. I think it's interesting they came to Philip. Have you noticed that people who are introduced to the gospel never come necessarily through strangers. People who are introduced to Jesus usually come to know Jesus through people that they come to know. The first person I, I ever was involved in leading to Christ was in college. His name was Kevin. Kevin had to be, unfortunately, a roommate of mine for a couple of months. It was a military school, and so we had regiments. But every night I would be reading the Bible. I, I just wanted to be close to Jesus. I was so hungry for him in those days. I would open the Bible with a flashlight after lights out just to eat, be able to read the word of Christ. And as I would absorb that word, I would hear Kevin saying, Hey, what, you, what, what are you reading? And I'd say, Well, I'm reading the Bible. He'd say, Well, what are you reading in the Bible? And I would, well, I said, I'd read it to him. So I wonder what that means. And I said, well, I think it means this. Unbeknownst to me, I was leading a Bible study after lights out. And I kept praying, God, how can I tell Kevin about you? How can I help him come to know you? And, and I began to think of ways. And I was like, no, nah, I'm too shy. I don't want to come across too wrong. And lo and behold, after school was out and it was summer, it was July, I got a phone call at home. And I went to the phone and it was Kevin on the phone. And he said, Robert. And he actually called me Bob. Don't call me Bob. I hate Bob. He said, Bob, you're not going to believe this. And I said, what is it? He said, I've come to know Christ. And I thought, how could that be? I never told him about Jesus. Did I not? You see, Jesus is someone who is unpredictable. 
And when the Greeks showed up, it was a something that no Jew would predict. But why? Because the Greeks were dogs. They were the filth of the earth. A Jew would not even enter their home to eat supper with them. They were scum. And now they were coming to hear about Jesus. Well, you can imagine Philip's surprise. What did he do? He went to talk to Andrew. Who was Andrew, his brother? What do you think they talked about? You think they said, oh, goody, we have some Greeks. No, they didn't say that at all. They were like, what are we going to do now? Man, we got to tell Jesus these men who are not even Jews are coming to see him. What do, how do we tell him that? And when it's announced that these Greeks have shown up, what does Jesus do? The unpredictable. The hours now come. What hour? Well, it's interesting. It's an hour that Jesus had been anticipating. His reply is given in verse 23. Did you read it? Did you see it? Are you looking at it yourself? Do you have your Bibles open? Don't you understand this is God's word to you this morning? Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Well, what does that mean? And who is the Son of Man? Well, that term, Son of Man, is a term that is used 13 times in John's Gospel. And every time Jesus uses it, he is referring to himself, but he's referring to his work of suffering and glorification that will come in his giving of his life on the cross. Now, I want you to grasp that, because if you go back and look at the 13 verses that, that John records for us, in every one of those circumstances, Jesus is not talking about being predictable. He's talking about doing something unpredictable to, to those who were expecting him to be a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, do a certain thing. They were hearing Jesus tell them that the Son of Man would have to suffer. And they were thinking, that can't be. That's not the Jesus that fits my mold. The most amazing thing is when you look at that passage and you begin to see the Son of Man must be glorified. Well, how is he glorified? In what way would Christ be glorified by his suffering? How could anybody be glorified in suffering? Well, he goes on to say, look in the next verse, that if a kernel, a, a seed, does not die, it, it, has to, it has to be glorified by the fact that it must face death. Well, what does he mean? He's talking, about, he's talking about this whole idea of the kernel of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. And so the imagery he's giving is literally exploding their mind because it doesn't fit the lens that they have for Christ. What is the lens? He's coming on a white horse. He's going to take care of my problem. He's going to conquer everything. And it's going to be nothing but biscuits and gravy. Or for those of you who don't like gravy, it's biscuits and butter. Do you hear that kind of message today in the church? If you believe in Jesus, he's going to give you everything you need. He's going to take away your debt. He's going to restore your health. He's going to make you prosper. It's no wonder people fall away from the faith if they had it. Because sometimes Jesus doesn't take away our sicknesses. Sometimes Jesus doesn't 
allow our debts to be paid. Sometimes Jesus leads us in valleys of darkness and death. Why? Well, James tells us that the trials come to tell us and show us and display for us where our faith really is, what we really believe in. Did you know that? The trials you're going through this morning, the things you're suffering with, are not a surprise to God, but they are the unpredictable ways that God is working in your life. Does that arrest you? Does that insult your vision of Jesus? Well, you need to dig deeper into the gospel to know who he really is. Certainly that meant that for me. You see, the most amazing thing about being glorified is that Jesus gives us this imagery that really is quite unpalatable to the world. That without death, without my understanding that something must be given up, I cannot live. But that by dying, by giving it up, Something God does, not me, something God does is unpredictable. Anyone who loves this life in this world will lose it. Why does he say it that way? Because if you do love your sinful life, if you love sin, you enjoy it, you like being a rebel, you don't want to be near God, let me tell you, you can enjoy the life that you have, but eventually it will end. And so will your eternal life end as well. In fact, you don't have eternal life. Does that scare you? It should. You see, the truth is that Christ came to save us from hell. And hell is what we choose. Not that we don't want. It's that we embrace it. We cling to it. We think it's fun talking with a neighbor of mine as we were sharing stories about another neighbor who we tried to help over time and it's just overwhelming how this addiction that these these people are going through is just robbing them of life you know years ago I would have no compassion for anyone who was addicted to drugs I would have nothing to, to base my that judgments on except that they were they were doing something predictable you take drugs you get addicted you die that's just the way it is Until one day I had to have surgery and I will never forget when I was in the pre-op room for those of you who don't know what a pre-op room it's the room they prepare you for surgery in and they fill you with medication and they gave me uh, a, a muscle relaxer that's what I call it <laughs> and they nurse came over and said, Mr. Howard, we're going to give you a medication to help you relax, and we're going to put it in your IV. And I said, okay. And she said, it'll take about 30 seconds. And they had a, a clock on the wall that was bigger than the sun. And, and I was watching the second hand tick by, and it got down to 20 minutes, and I didn't feel anything. And then it got down to 25 minutes, and I really began to get worried. And when that thing hit 30 seconds, I went, 
And the lady came walking over and she said, yes, Mr. Howard, what's the problem? And I said, I have a fifth a thing. <laughs> what, what did you say? I don't fifth a thing. She said, you're starting to feel it now, Mr. Howard. And from that point, y'all, it was like someone had dipped me in a bath of warm, relaxing water. And all my problems went away. But it wasn't real. It wasn't real. It just removed the anxiety. The problem was still there. And I thought, this is why our culture is seeking out drugs. It's because there are weighty problems that people have that only God can take care of. And that drug was the closest thing to heaven I have ever had in my life except for Jesus. Do you hear me? Well, how do we, how do we help people like that? God is, God is in the business of doing the unpredictable. And he wants to use you to love people where they are and tell them about Jesus and what Jesus has done for you. So I can't do that. Unless you die to that, unless you die to that, you will never see the light that can come from it. Isn't that sad? What happens when a church forgets the gospel, becomes embarrassed, worried about being seen as radical, out of the mainstream, non or unpolitically correct? What happens to a people who believe in Christ when they begin to become worried more about what people think of them than the gospel that saved them? What happens to a people like that? They never see the glory of God. Because there's not one of us here who can change anyone's heart. But we have a message that can. Don't we? The amazing thing about that is that when Jesus gives that principle of dying, he, he talks about that fact that we also live. And the principle is simply this. Anyone who loves their life in this world will lose it. Here's the other part. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternity. What does that mean? It means that God is able to do something we can't do ourselves. He is able to infuse in us life. You know, I, I'll always be amazed at how people are attracted to Jesus when I tell them what a rotten sinner I am as opposed to telling them how wonderful I am as a pastor. I'll never forget the time when I was coming home from seminary in Boston and I was flying on the old red eye on the old Piedmont Airlines. Do you all remember Piedmont Airlines? How many would like Piedmont Airlines to start again? Yeah, amen. Boy, that was a great airline, wasn't it? It was the old red eye that I was coming home and a guy in a business suit was sitting beside me and I was just a fresh starting seminarian just sitting trying to figure out what in the world I'm getting involved with. I said, Lord, I'll give my life to you and do anything you want. 
And here I am on a plane with a man who's probably making more money than I'll ever see in my life. Drinking on his third drink, mixed drink. And as we're sitting there, he begins that conversation. I did not want to start. What do you do? And I said, well, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm, I'm in school. Oh, where? where? What kind of school? It's a seminary. He looked at me and said, it's a cemetery? <laughs> no, sir, it's a seminary. Well, what, in the, what kind of school is that? And he, I said, well, it's a school that you go to prepare to become a minister. And he was taking a drink right about that moment. And as I said that, he went, <laughs> and from that moment on, he began to tell me what a great person he was. How he was such a loving father. Now, if you'd taken a picture of that man just 15 minutes earlier, he was a cussing sailor from New York. But now he was telling me how wonderful he was. You know, that's, that's kind of how we are, aren't we? How predictable we are that we always want to put our best face forward. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Tell the truth who you are. And what I've done for you. Man, would you do that? That's unpredictable. Why? Because God's in it. You see, that's how we lose our life. We lose our life when we come to know that this Savior, I, I sing of my Redeemer. Why? With his blood, he's done what? Do you believe he's done that for you? If you do, you can't keep it in. Why? Because it's unpredictable. Who in God's name would give his life for me with what I've done? And yet with his love, he set me free. Well, there's the application, isn't it? It really is true. The application is that I must make a decision. If, if, if I'm going to follow what Jesus is doing, I've got to think about what it means to die to myself. I've got to think about what it means to really follow him in doing what is unpredictable. I think about this second service. I think about how... It, it is such a rife opportunity for us to go, well, we just don't like that. It's different. What about, what about this? We might lose that. We might... You hear that? What's happening? We, we are fearful that we will lose something. And what does Jesus say? Unless you die to yourself, it will not happen. You will lose life. But if you do, like a seed planted in the dirt that dies, it, it grows. Like that jubilee watermelon. Do you know what happened when we cut that jubilee watermelon up? Do you know what happened? We snarfed it up. <laughs> And the only thing we could think about was that was the only watermelon that was a jubilee we've gotten out of the garden. Well, what do you think we did? We spit all the seeds into a cup and froze them for next year. You see, there's the principle. When you come to know Christ and the glory and wonder of who he is, you will do anything you can to plant the seeds that will die so that you might enjoy another jubilee. What a powerful thought, isn't it? 
Jesus comes to the choice where he says, and many people don't like this about the scriptures, Jesus comes to a choice where he really has to make a decision. Notice what he says in verse, uh, in, in verse 27. Notice these words that come from our Savior who know he has come into the world to give himself for us. He says in verse 27, now my soul is troubled. That word, it's not like, oh, I've lost a penny. Or, gosh, I've misplaced my glasses. I don't know where it is. Or, does anybody know where the keys to my car are? No, the, the word that Jesus used here is soul sick. He says, I am soul sick. Why? Because, because I have to make a choice. And he gives the choice before us. Look very carefully. He says, what shall I say? What shall I pray to my father? Father, save me from this hour. Do you remember in the garden when he was praying? Remember? Great drops of blood. I've talked to physicians who said that the only way that happens, that blood comes through the skin, is that the, the stress on the body is so great that the capillaries can no longer retain the blood from coming through the skin. That's how much stress Jesus experienced in going to the cross for you. And in going to that cross, he bled great drops of blood. And so in that moment, Jesus confesses, Father, should I pray, save me from this hour? And he goes on to say, no. Why? Because it was for this reason that I've come into the world. It was not that Jesus was second-guessing the Father. It was showing that he was taking a decision that he was going to do what God had sent him to do, which was to die. And in dying, he was going to bring life to many. Should he accept the death or the dying as his reason for coming into the world? Absolutely. In fact, it goes on to say that God the Father demonstrated his approval of Jesus's decision. How? Because the voice that came from heaven, what happened? That voice only happened three times in the scriptures. The voice from heaven that comes and says, I have glorified you, meaning I have glorified your name by the signs of raising Lazarus from the dead and the other things you have done all have brought glory, not only to you, Jesus, but to the Father. But now the greatest glory is to be revealed because what you're getting ready to do is going to be Earth-shattering, life-changing, direction-altering. How so? Well, he's going to do something no one would anticipate. He's going to bring in a time of judgment. What do I mean by that? Well, let me close this verse. Let me close the whole session. Let me close this sermon by looking at the choice that Jesus is making. It will bring judgment. Notice, please, in that verse 30, 34, he says, in the, well, excuse me, in verse 30, uh, I, boy, you, you would hope that I could prepare better than that. He goes on and he says, if you look at that, he says that judgment has come. What does he mean? 
Look at verse 30. Now, the voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now, verse 31, now is the time of judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. What is Jesus saying? Well, there are three things here that are important. First, he was saying that the predictability that the earth is going to hell is suddenly no longer predictable. Why? Because there is a way that God has provided salvation for us. There's a way that God has intervened on the hellishness of our world. How has he done this? By sending his son in the most unpredictable way, by going to the cross and bearing our sins. But even more so, this powerful, powerful passage goes on to drive home this whole idea that when Christ is lifted up, and there is the oxymoron of the passage. You see, these Jews wanted to kill him. Even after raising Lazarus from the dead, they not only wanted to kill Jesus, they wanted to kill Lazarus. And when they got him to the cross, they thought, Ugh. you ever done that? Some of you Appalachian State people are like that. <laughs> I've heard you this morning. You come in and you've talked about how Appalachian State beat who? Who was it? And I've heard it in your voice. It's like, ooh. In fact, I looked on Facebook this morning and someone else said, take that. Mm. And when they nailed Jesus to the cross, that's exactly what the world said. Take that, Jesus. And yet, notice the words in verse 32, and when I am not crucified, when I am lifted up, all will be drawn to me. Does he mean everybody in the world? No. All kinds of people. White, red, black, white, whatever. Men, women, people from the United States, people from Mexico, people from Canada, people from China. All will be drawn to me. You see, that's, that's the mission of the church. That as we lift the name of Jesus, we are no longer ashamed of that name because there is no other power under heaven whereby men and women must be saved. We're not ashamed of that name anymore. The response was typical. It was predictable. Did you notice it? The response was predictable. We thought the Messiah was supposed to be here forever. And Jesus says, you only have this light just for a little while. Just a little while. Walk in the light before the darkness overtakes you. And then he goes on to say, whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. And here's the joy. Believe in that light while you have the light. 
so that you may become children of light. What is he saying? He's talking to those who are before the resurrection, and he's saying, listen to what I've said to you. Believe in what I have taught you. Trust in what I am saying, because when God glorifies his name and raises me from the dead and lifts me up, then you will understand that it's in dying that you live, that's in putting Christ first that you are wealthy. That it's in following Jesus and obeying him, you actually live. I am 61, soon to be 62 years old. There's not a morning that I wake up that I'm not told on the TV that if I'll take a certain medication that if I will follow a certain path, I, I've had commercials even tell me that if I'll rub a certain ointment on my head, I have yet to find anything that can restore the teeth I've lost, the hair I've missed, the youth that has passed me by. Nothing can restore it. And yet Jesus says that if I will give up everything, give up every hope in everything and put my hope in him, I will never have to worry about death because I'll have eternal life. Unpredictable. The very one they nailed to the cross, they thought it was over, done with, is the very way that God has provided salvation for anyone who would believe. Who predicted that? Our gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God of life. Forgive us when we confuse the source of our life, when we think that the pleasures of the world are the things that can fill the void that only Jesus can fill. Forgive us when we begin to pursue degrees or positions or powers or influence thinking that somehow by having those places of influence that we somehow find satisfaction. I, I think about that dear woman who was Queen of England for so many decades and the overwhelming testimony that she gave is that she longed to know Christ and even in her last days, her, the biggest uh, question she answered was, was there anything that you had hoped for in your reign that did not happen? And she said, yes, I had hoped that Christ would return while I lived. And it's not reported on the media. But as the testimony of one who understood the principle of life and death. Well, Father, I pray for us as a congregation. I pray that, God, you would make us people who are ready to die to ourselves and live for Christ. I, I pray that you would strengthen my resolve 
whether in life or in death, that I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ and that in that truth I would live each moment confident of what you have done through the cross that I could not do for myself. That on the cross you sealed my pardon and you set me free. To the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God said together,